Woo! Woo's party! Yeah! Yeah! USA! 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 USA. We're losing children. We're losing children. 1,500 of them. 1,500. Although that's a statistic that is kind of exaggerated to make a political point. And it's actually a more complicated and nuanced situation. But no one wants to hear that. So 1,500. <laughs> well, we should talk about that another time as well, because it's important. Also, abolish ICE and prosecute the people in charge. Hi, yeah, and, welcome and back to what? the Waffle Press Podcast. <laughs> and definitely go, like, anywhere else for political advice. <laughs> <laughs> We're your hosts, Diego Crespo and Matt Garingo. Say hi, Matt. I... Barely graduated high school, and Diego likes Alien Covenant. No one should come to us for opinions. <laughs> uh, I have no rebuttal to that. Hey, hey I got, I got you fucking pinned down, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, we're here to continue our Hannibal Lecter retrospective. Uh, retrospective. Another reason why you shouldn't come to us for political advice. You can't even finish proper sentences. Yeah. We can't fucking speak the English language. <laughs> uh, someone who can speak eloquently, well, a bunch of people, is everyone involved in the TV production of NBC Hannibal series from yeah, Brian they Fuller? Some, they make some pretty wacky dialogue. Pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, we talked about season one. It's great. We're going to talk about season two today. Matt, is it also great? Yes. Well, Graham, you're under arrest for murder. We'll claim someone else committed the crimes he's accused of. He said that person was you. Well, you have to investigate me. It's in my best interest. Will Graham is either delusional or he's a psychopath, neither of which I can trust. He's toying with you. He tells everyone that you are a monster. There are days when even Will doesn't understand his own thinking. Could we have been that wrong? I told you not to put him out there! Okay, I thought you wanted to talk about an <laughs> asterisk last time. I don't know if you recall... I know we did, but it's like, I, I guess this season divides people. Is I don't know the inner workings of the Hannibal fandom. I don't get involved in fandoms anymore. So I guess this divides people. Um, I, they have issues, but no more than any season of the show. And uh, I still think it's great. And I really like the ending. I would say that this is the strongest overall season of Hannibal, but mm-hmm. also has two issues not relating specifically to like character or no, actually one relating to characters for sure. Um, but pacing wise and stuff, I think season three is a little weaker season one and season three, mm-hmm. but there's only like one big issue for me in season two. And it's not even that big. It's just big in terms of Hannibal because the rest of the se- series is so like, meticulously constructed and uh oddly like filled with emotion and and whatnot and uh i think well this is full spoilers also so i think the big issue that divides a lot of people is uh the death of one beverly Katz. that's a big one um and that's one that like we'll get to it but that's definitely a result of it comes with the territory of this show. Like, I, if I was writing this show, you kind of get to a point where you, it would be dishonest to not go there. And uh, so they went there, and it uh, understandably upset people. 
Yeah, and I think it's a testament to Hannibal and the Brian Fuller creative team that it is not. At least I I I wouldn't consider it like fully uh, ex- exploitative. You know, like it's uh, <laughs> that's kind of weird considering what happens. Yeah, like it's very uh, over the top, but it's not gratuitous. It's, also, it's, in a way, it's in keeping with the show. There you go. <laughs> um. Yeah. And especially uh, what is needed to be done after her murder. Uh, but again, like I said, that's actually kind of one of the drawbacks of, you know, Brian Fuller's great. Um, I really like his stuff. And he's he's always good about populating, making diverse casts in his shows. At least he seems to be trying to do that more and more. But the problem is that when you do get to a point where you're going to have to kill someone... <laughs> You're probably going to have to kill, you know, a role that kind of was important for a lot of people. And, you know, it's just kind of kind of the, the double-edged sword of being a very uh, good caster of people, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, he, he did his job too well, I would even say, is where yeah. the problem kind of comes in there. And uh, it's not I, I wouldn't even say it's like a, a problem with him or directly the show. It's a problem with just like the zeitgeist of pop culture right now. Mm-hmm. And because there's so little representation like proper anywhere else that yeah. uh, when it when it is here and uh, the characters and the stories go in different directions and some are more gruesome and vile than others, it can be a, a bummer. So I, I get it. I get that complaint. For sure. You know, what I'm, you know what I like about this episode so far? We're on topic? We've You've already completely abandoned the outline. <laughs> like you And I didn't even do it. You did it. You brought us here. Well, I skipped over the, the number two, which is where I just wanted to cover where Hannibal left off and then that we talked well, we about We didn't last cover time, where Hannibal left off. No, no, no. But the, the reversal of Will Graham and Hannibal... Uh, I was going to try to segue back to it, so let's. It's here now. Let's just talk about it. Uh, that was a why, great cliffhanger. Why is this your show? <laughs> I have no idea. You're I'm just kind of what? here. Yeah. What the fuck? I thought this was. I thought you were a man of integrity. Because <laughs> um, I, because I was like, because this time we we're coming around, it was like, there's a lot to talk about this season, so I'm like, we're definitely going to stick to the outline. And uh, then you didn't. <laughs> threw me off. <laughs> well here we'll we're, we'll stick into the rest of it now i just wanted to touch on the beverly cats thing mm. ah, i burnt my tongue <clears throat> oh, okay so uh hannibal leaves off on a complete reversal from the traditional hannibal lecter uh approach to the mythos and sounds of the lambs and manhunter where will graham is on the inside of a psychiatric ward and hannibal is assisting the fbi on cases and visiting will graham where they both clearly are aware of the others, like trying to like uh, manipulate one another and manipulate people to gain an edge on one another. And the first half of the season is almost entirely that. And it's really fascinating to watch these guys get pitted against one another like that. Mm. And how everyone is apparently connected to a serial killer in some fashion, I guess. Oh yeah. This is like, uh, it does that weird thing where it's uh because again, the first season is very much like a villain of the week thing that is slowly building towards uh, the climax. And this, they start doing villain of the week again, but it always somehow comes back around to the themes of 
the season. Like every killer, with with the exception of maybe one, is kind of a reflection of what is going on between Hannibal and Will, um, which is what makes this season, I think, so enjoyable. Uh, can we just talk about how this season starts first? It's the uh, it's it's not in the sanitarium, right? It's the the opening shot. No, no, am it I forgetting the opening flash forward? Oh, okay. I don't know how from, I fucked that up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, how is this your show? <laughs> um, stay tuned for the waffle press with Matt Garingo. <laughs> um, I'm just fucking around, but. Uh, it, there's a flash forward, and we basically are told right off the bat at the beginning of the season that at some point, Jack Crawford's going to realize Hannibal is full of shit and that he's a killer of some kind. And like, th- like that's just such... It's a great little moment, too, because it's, it's wordless, and you get the, you know, the reflection on the knife. Like this is just, it's one of those examples of why this is probably the best-directed TV show. <laughs> That was on television at the time, um, until Twin Peaks season three came around. I guess <laughs> that's like uh, the only competition. Yeah, really, because like no other shows really try to be that visual. Like Breaking Bad, like would always kind of get fancy every now and then, and The Sopranos kind of pushed a lot of boundaries, but it still kind of would every now and then sink back into the fact that it was a television show. And you have so many shows nowadays that don't even try, like The Walking Dead or uh, American Horror Story. Uh, which just goes for shock in, like, the cheapest ways possible. Uh, But here, and, like, you know, it sets up the whole... What the fuck? Fucking people fucking calling me. Fucking tell them I'm busy. (laughs) Fucking leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) Christ. Oh, it's Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Shannon. Um... But you get like kind of the themes of the previous season almost, which is a lot about self-reflection and introspection, which you know, carries over in this. But you kind of get all of that in this opening, which is a which is essentially an action scene, and it's great. I also love that it's slow motion here, and then when we eventually revisit it at the end of the season, it's played just normal, which is great. Um, it's just a great way of seeing those, like the reversal of the two. Or it still, it still works even when we play it at regular speed, which is something that I can't say about other directors that go into slow mo when their action happens. Don't do it. Don't I, do I it. won't. I won't. <laughs> okay. I, I just I, that was as far as I was going with it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Snyder. Um, <laughs> fuck. Uh, but we do get this great reversal of Will Graham and Hannibal, not just in the positions where they're at, but in the roles they have to play. Because Will is really forced into being the manipulator in this season. And the real question is, how far can he go as the manipulator without going over the edge? Because Hannibal's the one who manipulates, and now Will is going to have to become... Hannibal in order to catch him. Uh, and it makes this season a real wild ride as a result. Yeah, because so many times, I mean, I don't know how, how often you felt this, but I know I was really like questioning 
how much are they going to change? Because they changed a lot from the books by that point already. How far mm-hmm. is Will Graham going to like? Is, are they really going to have him go completely off the deep end? And there's a point in the season with Freddie Lounge where it looks like, oh, they really they they're really going there. Yeah, and I thought that was like it. Like there's going to be no turning back. Like clearly there's still like a an uneasy relationship between Hannibal and Will Graham, but I was I was seriously uh, unaware of of what of how this would all resolve, and that was real exciting. Well, so you know what's kind of tragic about this in a really weird way. Like, this is the season, I think, where Hannibal has the most fun. Like, he's clearly enjoying his his new role as the new Will Graham. Um, but can't help himself and keeps uh, inserting himself into each crime. <laughs> uh, li- literally, with uh, the Eye of God killer in, like, the second episode where he, like, be- he actually ends up working on the mural. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. A way that just leaves lingering questions that are eventually going to add up for everyone by the end of the season. Uh, and then at the end of the season, he's genuinely heartbre- heartbroken over what happened. <laughs> like, yeah, he's very a, upset by the end. It's a really tragic fallout between the two because it really is like this great mm-hmm. romance almost, you know, like um, Brian Fuller was interviewed about the the finale a lot, obviously because it's such a a shocking game changer, you know, and uh, has a lot of lingering questions. Clearly, but it's also just one of the best episodes of television ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll and, get to the ending. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, like the the foundation of their relationship is so like changed over the course of this season, and mm-hmm. just continues to evolve. And become something bigger. Like it really takes all the themes that are in the Thomas Harris books and the the movie adaptations, and becomes something else entirely by that point. And it's it's really just fucking awesome television. Well, I mean, it it the first season had to really set up this idea that Will and Hannibal could be friends, and this season kind of had to set up the fact that in Red Dragon, the book. Uh, I think this is what they were at least trying to go for, is that by the time we get to the Red Dragon book, uh, Will and Hannibal hate each other in that book. There's no camaraderie, really. There's just disdain for one another. And I think they were really setting that up, because not just because of how it it ends and how Lecter is genuinely devastated, but Lecter becomes, like, genuinely monstrous in this season. Uh, he, he goes really far. I mean, he's been killing people all up to this point, but it it gets much more personal and much more vicious emotionally in, in what, in what he does. Um, cause he doesn't just, I mean, we talked about him. He kills Beverly Katz, who, uh, is one of, I mean, it's, re- he really kills her as a fuck you to Will. <laughs> Because yeah. Will has manipulated Beverly into doing some of the research. He's basically, Will, Will starts planting this notion that don't trust Lecter. And he's really just trying to plant that idea. So, because he knows he's innocent, but he can't just say that. So he starts playing this role of like, hey, I don't even know what I did. And he's kind of got to get other people to do the work for him. Um, and as much as he tries to warn Beverly, he, she doesn't listen. And uh, it, it leads to her death, which is, you know, sh- 
at, true to a character that they set up where she follows the evidence and the evidence just took her to a place where she couldn't come back from. I mean, once she gets there, uh, once she figures out Lecter is Lecter, you know, she's dead. Uh, so the, the actual aftermath of the murder is uh, particularly vicious. And it is kind of incredible that they got away showing that on television. Like, it's mm. not like buckets of blood, but it, it's pretty fucked up. Like, there's no well, getting her, around it. How her body is found is pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's like... Uh, and that's an episode chock full of religious imagery, too. So... Mm-hmm. Because um, we don't just get that. But then we're forced... That Like, that's not even the part that I find that disturbing. It's that we then go in the will being forced to, you know, relive that crime. And so we have to see Will kill her. Uh, so we can see what happened. Um, just so we can solve the crime, which is... Which, you know, that's where you kind of get, like, this empathy over... Because, like, the, the difference between the two is that Will kind of has, like, an overabundance of, of empathy. And he understands his empathy... To him, his empathy is kind of like a hindrance, and Lecter's always trying to get him to forget his empathy. Uh, and this, he's so overwhelmed by being put through that process that that's when he's finally, he pushes someone else to try and kill Lecter, who helps get the case thrown out along with Hannibal Lecter. Uh, I've, I forgot, someone wrote up a review for this, some fucking TV critic. And uh, and they were saying, like, okay, this that was a step too unbelievable, I guess, that there was uh, someone in the asylum who was a big fan of Will Graham and and became, like, his, his acolyte for an episode. And I guess the Eye of God killer was totally plausible for this critic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, when, you okay. start off, when you start off the season with that as your second, you know, serial killer... You're real, that's really like, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. This isn't reality. Yeah. And so it's a little convenient, I'll say that. But there is something to the idea of a, you know, a wannabe killer is attracted to a job where he gets to hang out with real killers. Yeah, like, I so. I totally buy into that after buying into everything else this show already tossed at me. Uh, it's less uh it's less coincidental than uh one of Hannibal's patients being best friends with another serial killer who wants to meet Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> um uh, back to Beverly Cats. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning already too, but I I didn't see it as as hugely uh problematic but also get the the idea that it would put people off of the show given that this is the only Asian character on the show as well, and mm-hmm. representation is very slim. Um, and also that Brian Fuller has made it a point that he doesn't want the series to um, divulge and like just glamorize violence against women because that's a very easy thing to fall back on in a lot of these uh, the specific genre of of serial killer horror stories. And um, given how they treat. The character of Miriam Lass, will uh, Lawrence Fishburne's we'll get, we'll get original to her character. A, we'll get to her in a minute. Yeah, but I, I would just want to say that it treats. I think the, the show treats these characters with 
as much respectability given their predicaments as it could. I don't. I don't want to like. Let me put. Let me put words. this to you. Mm-hmm. Let me let me put this to you. You know how the Book of Henry fucked up everything it was trying to do. Ridiculously so. Yes. This is like the polar opposite of that. So it's the opposite of the Book of Henry, where this is a really they know exactly when to push and pull back the people who work on the show, which is kind of incredible because a lot of shows really don't understand that. I've seen plenty of things. I've seen movies ostensibly made for family audiences that I think push certain boundaries that you really shouldn't, but that are just often not questioned. And I don't know what sort of environment they were had on this set where they knew to at least, you know, they knew to, to make Beverly's death uncomfortable, but they also knew not to make it feel as exploitative as some of the other you know, gruesome deaths in the show. I mean, speaking of the Eye of God Killer, when we reveal that uh, the victims of that, that's I couldn't even watch it this time around. Um, it's gen- it was genuinely upsetting to see that guy pull himself out of the mural. Oh yeah, that's this show and, goes to fucking places this season. Yeah, you get a lot this season, and but they knew not to do the same thing. They knew they, they, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of amazed because they know exactly where to stop when it came to Beverly Cats because it never felt like different than the show. Like it never felt like out of place considering how they find her body all divided up because um, that feels like the kind of, you know, over the top murder that the show is kind of known for. But at the same time, they did it in a way where it wasn't exploitative, and they got you involved in the murder. I think I think it's because they they don't show Hannibal kill her; they show Will kill her, and so it puts us in this really awkward position where we really understand just how bad what happened was. Not in a way that is uh, just shock, you know. Yeah, it's it's related to character, and because we have this attachment to her already, they. They don't. They don't go to the the extent of like the the totem pole of bodies, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and we can we talk about the episode that leads to uh, Beverly Katz's death because that's one of the better episodes of the show, um, and it's also an episode I actually have trouble watching because it brings back uh, Gina Torres who's dying of cancer, and I kind of expressed in the previous episode an episode which we recorded weeks ago, by the way. <laughs> Um, to the people listening to this in the future. Uh, and I was very angry at the time because I wasn't feeling well. So I kind of went off about cancer subplots on TV shows and uh, brings her back. But they, she's used in a really interesting way. Uh, and that's got, a whole, that, that's got a whole theme in that episode about death being some sort of... The debate about death being an end or a release. Because um, you have the, the B-killer... Uh, Amanda Plummer, who is the acupuncturist who's killing her victims. Um, but she deals with people with chronic pain and she feels like she's releasing them and uh, she's helping them in some sort of way. Uh, you have Gina Torres who decides she's going to let herself die. And you have Hannibal who says that he, Hannibal actually states uh, he believes the, the people have the right to die if they're terminally ill. 
um, but then chooses to save uh, Gina Torres because she comes to him for being like, hey, I, I feel like I can trust you to let me die. Um, and that's when Hannibal does probably a really subtle thing, but also one of the most evil things he does on the show, which is when he flips the coin to decide her fate. Because it really isn't about like just his glibness about it. It's the fact that he has to remain in control of the people around him. And his way of flipping that coin, if that coin had come down and he decided to just let her die, which would have been her wish, for him it would have been like, well, I have the power. He would have been getting off of the fact that I have the power to save her, but now I have chosen not to. That fate is in my hands. But instead it lands and he decides to save her entirely just be because he can. And I think it's a really uh, sinister exploration of his character. Oh, it's just if, the worst. He's, he's yeah. despicable. Yeah. I mean, that's really like when he starts to cross the line. And that is just before he kills Beverly Katz because she goes to Crawford to tell him that she's, she has evidence that kind of points to Hannibal. And so to kind of let him know, like, hey, I'm going to be looking at Hannibal. So if something happens to me, uh, look at Hannibal Lecter. But Crawford's not there because his wife's in the hospital. And that's just how the fates turned in that moment. Um, and it's really despicable. That makes Hannibal almost, like, supernatural. Mm. Like, the, the power he holds all over the, all these people. And Well, he... he he almost is on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're talking about, like, superheroes here. Yeah. <laughs> this is like Lex Luthor versus Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Although Lex Luthor is always kind of a preening idiot, but whatever. <laughs> um, I like with Jesse then, Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. And uh, we eventually get to uh, Miriam Lass comes back. And this, I don't know if we talked about her in the first, in the last episode. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, my <laughs> Girl. She was in My Girl. You ever seen My Girl? I actually haven't. Oh my god, you haven't seen My Girl? I haven't seen My Girl. That was one of those devastating films as a kid. Because Macaulay Culkin gets stung to death by bees. That I am familiar with. I just haven't yeah. seen it. And now I don't want to because I'm and a she, big old softie. And her father is the funeral director. Like, so, it like, they're the ones, like, they he brings the body to the morgue, and then the funeral, I think, is at their house. And she's like, he can't see without his glasses. So that was a good film to watch when adults weren't supervising me properly. <laughs> uh, Anna Chlumsky is the, the actress's name. Yes. She's I said great. girl because I couldn't remember her. Yeah. I feel bad. She is really good. Uh, and she's, uh, she's basically a ticking time bomb. Um, set up by Lecter. We can actually, I don't think we can talk about her until we talk about some other stuff that happens in the season, but we, she was introduced in season one as Crawford's, you know, one of his agents. And he like, he was had a particular fondness for her. And then she, uh, got herself on the wrong side of uh, the Chesapeake Ripper and disappeared. But there would still be taunting phone calls from her from time to time. Uh, 
and we just assume she was dead. We get her hand, we get her arm at some point sent to Jack Crawford, and we just assume that uh, she's dead. But the trick here is that Hannibal's been holding her in his back pocket, basically. And this is like this is when we start realizing that Hannibal's got a longer game going on here. Because Will, Will for a while, is trying to catch Lecter, but he's also trying to get himself out of prison. But then Lecter's the one that really lets him out. Because he kills the judge uh, with those, you know, the fish lures that are holding everything up. No, 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 that's not what happens. I fucked that up. Um, never mind then. But uh, he kills uh, a guard, uh, and he puts the fish lures in that guard. And uh, they all those lures contain evidence that, you know, point to the Chesapeake River and basically reveal that it couldn't have been Will Graham. And those lures lead to Miriam Lass. And that's when we kind of get this idea that Lecter has a bigger game going on. And I think even Will acknowledges when he gets out of the sanitarium that, like, yeah, he's he's not in control yet. Like, this is only happening because Hannibal is is making his moves you know Mm -hmm. and like all the people that um are becoming aware that hannibal is more than meets the eye they're starting to die off or they're always given enough reasonable doubt to believe he could be innocent it's always just enough and uh part of it is that we uh get a return of one of my favorite characters in the show uh abel gideon played by eddie izzard (laughs) Oh, he's fucking great. I love Eddie Izzard, and uh, he's uh, Abel Gideon, who was uh, convinced... Which killer was he convinced that he was by Chilton? Um, uh, the, the Minnesota Shrike. Yeah, um, which is... Uh, that's actually a thing that really does happen um, in therapies with planted memories. It happens all the time, which is why don't trust people who do hypnosis, because <laughs> it really can lead to planted memories and people will feel like they've been abused when they haven't. That's actually, usually if there's ever like a story about someone with like, I went to therapy and it turns out I was abducted by aliens. <laughs> like 90% of the stories, they trace it back and it was a planted memory by the therapist. Um, and Abel Gideon is used in a way to try and uh, bring Lecter out into the open. Because Abel Gideon knows that Lecter's a killer. Uh based on the events of the first season. Does, does Abel Gideon quote-unquote die in season one? And then he just shows back up in this and is like, well, you didn't hit me in the right spot. Yeah, that happens a couple times in this show, but it's always yeah. just enough to be like, oh, okay, I guess they didn't die. It's always ridiculous enough that I'm, like, cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you get, you get that the writers know what they're doing. Yeah, where it's like, like well, it, let's hold on to them in case we can come up with something later, or we need them later. Because it's also never a twist that like hinges on something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not a it's not a fucking melodramatic rug pull. It's like what they're what? not trying. Like, they're not trying to like uh, fucking pull the rug out from under you. They're just like, oh yeah, we still need this guy. Yeah, it's, it's it really is just a like. Oh, I guess they're okay. <laughs> and he uh, Abel Gideon gets on the wrong side of Lecter, and he's the one who uh, guard needs to be killed in order to break him out of the uh, sanitarium. So Abel Gideon gets on the wrong side of Lecter and is kidnapped. Uh, And this is all part of a play against our good old friend, Dr. Chilton. 
who is set up, unexpectedly set up as the fall guy <laughs> for all of this. Uh, Lecter starts planting evidence and saying Chilton did these murders. And Chilton has a history of, you know, unethical treatment, so it's not... Although anyone with any sense probably should have been able to tell that Chilton was too stupid to pull off crimes of these magnitudes. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't really matter because uh, while they're interrogating him, they bring in uh, Miriam Last to finger him. And uh, she uh, she says it's him and she pulls out a gun and shoots him in the face. Yeah. Chilton's basically their Kenny from South Park. I think even Brian Fuller referred to him as that. Yeah. Where they just keep doing horrible, awful, despicable things to him. That's what I like. Another thing I really like about this show with, with its ridiculousness, that when people suffer injuries on the show, they really do, like, affect them for the rest of the show. Like, it's never, you're never like, oh, you know, I lost a kidney, but I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, we have canes now. I need a yeah, cane like, to walk or something. People need canes. They Like, their arm will be fucked up. They... Like, they have to take pills or they have to eat certain ways. I mean, it's it's great because you really don't see that. And as someone who's, like, gone through his share of surgeries that have been, like, life-altering, like, it's refreshing. To, now, now, I cannot watch any movie where someone gets shot, like, in the gut. And then by the end of the movie, they're just in a hospital bed okay. <laughs> like, that is such bullshit to me now. Um... Especially considering that they would have to shove a tube up your nose, but whatever. Uh, that's something that happens. Raul Esparza remains fucking hilarious in this role. Like, he's he's the perfect amount of, like, funny but skeevy, and, like, you don't trust him, but you also kind of want to see stuff happen to him, you know? Like, not that not sure. horrible, but, like, hmm. how is he going to weasel his way out of this one? I'm not sure if he's uh, as skeezy as, he's as uh, you know, from, like, Silence of the Lambs, but oh, he's no, definitely... No, 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 no. He's definitely as, like, you know, egotistical and has a misplaced sense of confidence in himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, he thinks he's this, like, great guy, and he really isn't. So. It's, it's a, always a ton of fun when he shows up. And, he, and he's also a character who quote-unquote dies mm -hmm. this season. But they, ne I, I give them credit. They never, they bring him up like a couple times after this, and they never say that he's dead. They always go like, "Oh well, Doctor Chilton." Yeah. <laughs> like they always dance around it. So I got to give the writers credit that they always like give themselves an out. Like even more than Breaking Bad does. Breaking Bad always found a way to like justify the like lengths it went to, and this does it even more so. And also, there is a recurring image of a teacup breaking and reforming. A lot mm -hmm. in this season. <laughs> yes. And it's great, but they do it a lot. Like, I forgot <laughs> how often, like, this that stuff happens. That stag comes back a lot. Oh, yeah. The stag's in, like, everything after the first yeah. season. Uh, well, I mean, the stag is meant to represent Hannibal, you know. Yeah. And then as things go on, it's like, well, is Will starts turning into the stag. And it's a lot of fun. I mean... This is like the most pretentious art film ever, yeah. while also remaining ridiculous in a way that makes it enjoyable. Like, I think that I think he, Ryan Fuller has said that like the goal was to make like a '70s like art house horror film. Yeah, they, something like this, like Suspiria, the original, not the new trailer that dropped that is not visually interesting in any way. 
where, you know, it's like this stunning, like, knock your eyes out, visually gorgeous, but, like, doesn't really make a lot of sense and plays by rules that it's not Earth, but it doesn't matter. Um, and that's the type of movies I like. Yeah, I mean, the I think the original pitch was, like, what would David Lynch do with a, a Hannibal Lecter approach, like, with a Hannibal mm. Lecter story? And that's that's basically what this is a little, a little different not not no, quite I'm, not quite i'm not gonna i'm like, not gonna shit on the people for saying that but i don't see that at all <laughs> i'm sorry i like i like david lynch but i don't get lynch vibes from this like i would say like lynch definitely paved the way for a show like this uh but i definitely get more like argento you know yeah like this is spirit when you're saying suspiria like it it all just clicks for me <laughs> right yeah. now like i'd never put that together Really? So, yeah. All right. I, that, that's that's on me. And you say you love Alien Covenant. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, Alien Covenant is like Blade Runner with uh, the grassroots of... I'm, I'm going to stop talking. Let's keep going. <laughs> it's like the earrings of Madame D and, uh, <laughs> and the bicycle thieves mixed with Blade Runner and King Kong. <laughs> Like just throw yeah, those are four good movies. I guess that means it's good. <laughs> this is a show that will not age well when we finally start talking about mental illness seriously in this country. I mean, fuck, Batman is gonna look really bad. Oh god. A rich billionaire beating up mentally ill people. The Dark Knight I mean, it has one specific moment that that is not gonna look pretty. Oh, it's yeah, it's real bad. Um, and you know, in a weird way, Bruce Wayne kind of parallels a certain character that appears in this season of Hannibal. Hannibal. <laughs> I'm. J I have no idea where you're going with this. Who? A billionaire who has way too much money. Oh, there it is. That allows him to get away with a lot. I wonder what character that is. Cue the clip. Call out. Because our boy, the boy is back in town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Basin Verger is so much better in this show than in the Hannibal movie. It's, oh, yeah. It is basically a different character entirely. Yeah. Uh, almost. I mean, he does kind of have that weird, like, he has this, like, theatrical quality to him that we only get in those, like, weird flashbacks that really sucked in Hannibal. Yeah. With the uh, animal roaring? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Hannibal Lecter's like an animal. <laughs> Did you get it? <laughs> oh, but here he's it? fucking... Uh, even the actor who plays him is like doing some honest-to-God incredible going shit. For it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going for it. out there, but it totally works. As the most theatrical of all the killers on this show. Which is saying which, something. Yeah. Like, damn. It's not even, like, it really isn't, like, that's where it's that thing of, he probably drives home the ultimate point about how serial killers and, like, rapists, like, all that shit is about power. It's not really about, like, the physical act of what's happening. 
And he's like the ultimate embodiment of that because he has just uh, like almost unlimited power through his wealth and position as this uh, patriarch of a family of just fucked up shit. Yeah. And how the series plays that without ever getting too uh, like like in Hannibal, the, the movie is just gross and like reductive here. Yeah. Um, there, I think I, I don't even remember like any direct implications, but there's that horrifying scene where he makes a kid cry and collects his tear, and yeah. then he goes, "Have a chocolate," and then he just waltzes away, and you get the you get, you get a pretty powerful effect from that. Yeah, <laughs> you you don't need anything else. Well, you get the it's the entire idea of what child abuse is on every level, really. I mean, without going there in a way that would feel exploitative. I wonder if uh, Lars von Trier has seen the show Hannibal. Um, <laughs> uh, a guy who fucking relies on shock value a lot. Uh, but, because that's a scene where, because you get the entire idea of just how awful Mason is without uh, going there. Uh and that's and again, that's that great tightrope walking of this show. Like I'm not like I'm I'm in awe of it because that's like you could so easily go too far in a certain way, and I'm sure it is too far for some people, which is entirely understandable. But I feel like if the if that was too far for you, you would have checked out long before this. Yeah. Um. It's that weird balance of heightened reality, uh, like straight up just pure expressionism, like implying things that, that is easy for the audience to understand what is being like represented here without showcasing it in a way that, that is ex- exploitative. Yeah. And that's, that's the charm of the show. I mean, that's among good. a million other things, but still. Well, I think it's this idea of like they 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 understand how ridiculous the show is but they will take it completely seriously and that's yeah. like that's i think that's all i'm looking for in art <laughs> like that's why superhero films kind of don't work for me on some level especially the dc films is i feel like no one understands how stupid those films are <laughs> cuz they real like i mean as a concept superheroes are dumb <laughs> And they really need to embrace that to make those films. Because if you really embrace stupidity, you can find some real beauty and truth in art. That's the Macaringo philosophy right there. <laughs> Put that in your Twitter bio. I'm, I'm And I'm genuinely serious. I mean this. This is not me like trying to be ridiculous. <laughs> I think like perfect, perfect art is, um, is you want... The, the most talent and the most stupidity possible. And you put those two together. Because if you get talent without stupidity, you get Ridley Scott. I was going to say, like, Alien if Covenant get, should be right up your alley then. It's, but. it's If you get stupidity without talent, <laughs> you get... who's That's probably Zack Snyder. Aww. Um, or Colin Trevorrow, but there he doesn't go. seem. But he doesn't seem. But Colin Trevor doesn't seem to understand how stupid his stuff is. You know there was an saying? interview with him on I, I forget with who, but 
they asked him, like, what do you think makes a great Jurassic World movie? And he started breaking it down. And it's just like, wow, this guy has no touch with reality. It's like just rambling nothingness. Like, he's he's the film director version of Mason Verger without, like, the creepiness. Yeah, I don't want to go that far. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, I'm genuinely, like, I really don't like him. <laughs> well, he and tried to take credit for the Me Too movement. That was weird. That was, was like, like, holy fuck. That was like... Like, can you imagine, like, I've taken credit for some dumb shit in my life. In fact, I take credit for the success of your entire podcasting career. <laughs> but, but I've never sat here and was like, 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 you know, when Seth MacFarlane was like, I was making fun of Harvey Weinstein before everyone else was calling him out. You're kind of like, Seth, you know, I get it. But don't make this about yourself. But, like, somehow Colin Trevor is even worse than that. <laughs> Where he's like a movie which isn't about men in power, by the way. <laughs> it's very briefly, like, there's an element of it. It is a nugget of the film. And in, a, in the hands of a brilliant filmmaker, you can make, like, a one moment in a film really speak volumes. You, get, you can unlock the secrets of the universe in one moment. <laughs> And it, but it's a, but meanwhile, the big picture is completely lost in Book of Henry. <laughs> and then to come out the other end being like, now Book of Henry's totally what the Me Too movement's about. <laughs> and I was ahead of it. If I, if I had released Book of Henry now, everyone would be like, yep, this is what we need in the post Weinstein world. Just the fucking gall. A movie where you could replace the abused child with a sack of jewels and it wouldn't change anything. That's but not he, my idea, by the way. That's from Dan Olson. But uh, it's it's a very truthful element of Book of Henry is that the girl who is abused is a prop. Everyone's a prop in that fucking movie. That movie I think, I is is must watch. If you want to understand movies and what not to do, I think everyone should watch it. Honest to God. Yeah, yeah, it is like a perfect. It is a textbook movie of like, don't do this. <laughs> that might be Trevor's like true purpose in life. Because I, because honestly, I think I finally understood just how, like I've always loved Jurassic Park, but I didn't realize how great it was until I saw Jurassic World <laughs> and saw it do everything Jurassic World did wrong. <laughs> Like, 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 Jurassic Park does everything right, and Jurassic World does everything wrong, and it was just unbelievable. And infuriating, and also infuriating on a level because it thinks it's so clever. That's, I think, where it, like, crosses a line for me. Like, I think that Lorax movie that I also hate, <laughs> these are important things to bring up on the Hannibal retrospective. Uh, the, the Lorax movie, I think, understands that it's a shitty corporate product. Like, it so doesn't believe in its own message that I can't imagine anyone came out of it, like, thinking it was anything more than a product. But Jurassic World thinks it's got, like, this meta text going on, where the Indominus Rex is, like, a metaphor for the, the reboot nature of Jurassic World. And I feel like Trevor, like, feels like the people who hate Jurassic World are upset about his, like, brilliant meta text. And I'm just like, fuck you, dude. Like... Yeah, I fucking got it with... I got it in the trailer, for fuck's sake. If you get it in a fucking movie trailer, it ain't that deep, you shit kicker. So we skipped over Bedelia to do Marie. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Gillian Anderson is radiant and powerful and one of the greatest performers of her generation. And the X-Files completely fucked her over. But we're not talking about the X-Files. We're talking about Hannibal. And she's great in this. Yeah, I I, got to thank the X-Files for at least giving her exposure. Yeah. Because that's that's a show where you're like, she's the reason the show's good. (laughs) I don't think the people who make it understand that. Uh, I didn't even see the last season or the last episode, but like, apparently that's correct. You you are right. X-Files got, the new X-Files was so bad, I was like enjoying it. Like, it was like, they just kept topping their awfulness. <laughs> there are like three every, solid episodes. There are, like they're, the, the standalone ones have really worked, which is the only thing that still holds up about the original X-Files, by the oh, way. Oh, hell yeah. Like, that's what the show should have like, been. I don't know what this mythology was about, you know? Like, yeah. I don't get it. People like it, apparently. I know some people that, like, are really into the mythology of X-Files. That's so weird to me. Well, paved the way for Lost. Which is not weird to me, and I love. But uh, Gillian Anderson, you you wanted to to bring her up. I I feel like you had a point about her character. No, no, I actually don't. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) But she plays a very important role in this season, so I felt like it was important to bring her up. Uh, in the final frame of the season, I mean, this is kind of hopping around a little bit, but she she takes up what is essentially the Clary Starling role from the Hannibal book. Yeah. They got that out of the way. Yeah, it's like, it's, um, that whole remix idea of Hannibal before Red Dragon, like, just, it, it how they incorporated it and how it just worked so effortlessly is like... Mm-hmm. Like, how do you come up with that? They Who changed a, that. They changed a lot, but it really doesn't go fully like into just straight up remix territory until the next season, where we do the ending of Hannibal the book before Red Dragon. Yeah, um, which is fine. Which is that's like I'm totally okay with that. Whereas this is like very much it's kind of like oh we're taking like you're just taking very like repeated themes that show up in the movies and stuff and kind of doing them here and a couple of very specific call outs, um, particularly, uh, the wheelchair on fire, uh, which, uh, looked good here. Oh yeah. That was a nice little moment. Um, I still miss, I like the one thing I liked about the red dragon movie was when they did that, the body was flailing around. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the one thing and that, that movie did right. Uh, I, I think I would just, I, I, I'm so tapped out. Maybe if I just watch that clip on YouTube in a couple months and I totally forget, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that was right. Yeah, yeah, literally just that moment because, <laughs> like, the whole scene, even though it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, the whole scene before that doesn't even work. Yeah. So, that was a shit movie. No, it's fucking, um, it's the worst. Also, to keep it on topic, whenever I hear the name Bedelia, I think a creep show. You know, I've never seen Creep Show. Oh my god, you've never seen Creep Show? Nope. Dude, it's on Amazon Prime. All right, I guess go, I know what I'm doing this weekend. Go watch it. I think it was. It might not be because it's June now. Oh, fuck. I, it was. And it's fucking the best. <laughs> it's the best. Go watch it. Everyone, fuck all this. Go watch Creep Show. We investigated your claims about Dr. Lecter. I am not the intelligent psychopath you're looking for. I look at my friend and I see a killer. Hello, Will. Let's go.
I did it. Or in believing that you did this to me. No, I won't. No, I won't be afraid. Just as long as you stay. Well, yeah, we gotta talk about the ending. Okay. Um, which might be, like, one of the most emotionally devastating climaxes to a TV season. Um, just because, like, everyone is so fucking beat to shit. <laughs> like, everyone gets fucked up at the end of this season. There's so much blood. Yeah. <laughs> so much blood for a primetime television show. Oh, and I forgot to bring this up earlier, but I'm glad I wrote this down. Um, the physical confrontation between uh, Hannibal and uh, fucking Lawrence Fishburne's character. I always forget his Crawford, name. Crawford. Jack Crawford. Thank you, Crawford. Uh, that fight, I know you touched on it already, but it's so good because, like, the, the way they're incorporating their different, like, fighting styles because Lawrence Fishburne's a heavier guy and he's mm. more physical. Like, his punches land harder. And the way um, Hannibal, because uh, Maz Mickelson was a, was a ballet dancer, so his movement is more like balletic and like it flows and he's like hopping around places. And I, is, I just always thought that was really interesting. Is Mads Mikkelsen a real person? Uh, he's an angel. Like that's heaven. always like, you know, it's kind of, kind of one of those things where you're like, he's, he was a ballet dancer and you're like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course he was. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, oh my God. He should be. I wish he was in more stuff and wasn't like a character that's thrown away by the end of a film. That keeps happening. Why does that keep happening? It happened twice in like the same year. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? Same with, in a weird way, the same thing happened to Andy Serkis in both franchises. Oh, yeah. But thematically, his character. They did more. They did a lot more with him. But still, I thought it was funny that with Like on paper. On paper, you could see that being a similarity for sure. Within three months. <laughs> but, uh, hey. Um, also, I saw someone complaining about Andy Serkis as Snoke. Go fuck yourself. Um, but, yeah, no, there's a great, like, there's a great way, which this is where one of those things where, like, this show, they know what they're doing because so many shows just don't think about, it's weird, like, to think about how many action movies are made today. And there's so little thought put into the action. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of shit, shooting the shit about superhero movies, but like, we both like Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm. I think it's safe to say that the action is the low point of that movie, because it's not that interesting. Um, it's honestly, Spider-Man Homecoming, I think, does it better than most of the Marvel films. Um, I don't think the action in any of the Iron Man movies has been that good. There's always, like, one scene that's, like, really good, and then... That's why Iron Man 3 actually works so well, because he's almost never in the suit. But it's just, like, they, there's, they don't really understand how to bring the emotion of the character into the action. And, like, you know, on some level, you're like, well, you don't, like... Like, they don't always think of that. Like, you know, it's not like you think about that when you watch Die Hard and watch Faceless Goons get taken down. But at the same time, these movies are much more about these characters and the actions they commit. So you got to think of you should these filmmakers really should think about the action that happens more. 
And it shouldn't just be, you know, contests of strength. It's got to be like a, a move. That's why, like, Ant-Man was so disappointing to me because they really did so little with his size-changing action. It's just like Kung Fu, except he can teleport. Like, they, there's no more depth to it. Uh, it get, Like, there's a couple, like, flashes where you're like, ah. But then, like, no. Like, why does he even, why can he even fight? You know what I'm saying? Like, what if Ant-Man... Don't, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. Like, it's just, that's what I don't like about... And especially, I mean, people might disagree with me, but Zack Snyder, all of his action feels the same. Like, there's no logic to his fighting in his movies. In, like, differentiating them. And he gets all this credit for being an action filmmaker, and I just don't see it. Like, like when I think, I think about Watchmen more, where there's, like, you know, there's that opening fight in Watchmen where uh, the, um, the comedian gets killed. Yeah, and you're and like, he, why is this happening? Like, I mean, f- fine, show that, which isn't how the comic starts, but I'm fine, whatever. Uh, but there's like this weird, like, so like precision to it, and on some level, you think, oh, maybe this is just you know the giveaway to the fact that of who is killing the comedian in this scene, like that that's this person's fighting style. He knows how to get the upper hand on this dude. But then you cut to a scene later where uh, Night Owl. And Silk Spectre getting a fight, and it's the exact same type of fighting. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it just, it just means nothing. And this show does a very good job of doing that with Lecter, of incorporating his different style with Jack's more just bluntness. And not even, like, saying that Lecter is inherently better. Like, Lecter gets the upper hand in the end, but there are very close calls for both of them. Which keeps it really engaging. Uh-huh. And then Crawford gets stabbed in the neck. Yeah, and then has to fucking keep his hand on that wound for the rest of the episode, which is awesome. No, we didn't talk about uh, a lot of Bloom this season, but I I could have seen this season breaking that character like fundamentally, mm-hmm. like not in an interesting way. I mean, like in a in a very TV show way, where here was a character that was a potential love interest. Now they're not, and they don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. sort of way which happens with like every fucking television show yeah well, that's what happens but, when your female character isn't a character yeah but not hannibal i mean i'll be honest though i think alana bloom is kind of like i don't want to give too much shit like but she's always kind of like the third wheel to me um not like awful not in like a very bad way like i've seen many worse shows i've seen shows where the fucking main character is the third wheel but like, she's always kind of like, eh, she's, she's around. And you kind of feel like she's kind of just going to be like this, how do you say it? Like, like she's going to be a victim in some way, which she kind of does end up being in this. But she does have her own agency in it. Yeah, I, I would still say she's the least compelling out of all the characters. But she's not like, considering what could have gone wrong with the oh, character, yeah. it's like, it, it's a fucking miracle. At least. Knowing uh, how often they fuck up female characters on TV shows, it's like, she might as well be the star of this show. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then she gets tossed out a window by a very familiar face, which still fucking scares the shit out of me when it happens. It's scary. It still feel, it's, I felt like, 
like I got tilted forward, you know, like if you were, you've been in one of those 4D theaters. No, I like, haven't. They don't have. Okay. Well, they're, they're fucking terrible. Um, but <laughs> when the, when the, they're, they're really the worst, but, uh, I got great a similar ad, great feeling. Great advertising. The no, they're, they're, they're fucking awful. Um, Come to LA and see our fucking <laughs> terrible 40 theaters, you fucks. Um, but the, the movement of like the chair, like lunging me forward and like disorienting me, it happened again when I rewatched the finale and she gets tossed out the window. And no. I, I, I don't know why, but that. The way that shot really uh, disorients me. I did see Shrek 4D at Universal Studios. Does that count? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, wait, wait. Sick on that. Oh, okay. Then, yeah. Yeah, I'll say it counts. All right. They kind of sprinkle you with water at times and lots of uh, air cannons. Yeah. Oh, someone live tweeted War for the Planet of the Apes from their 4D theater, and they were like, that was the worst theater experience I've ever had. Because, like, the avalanche at the end just, like, blasted them continuously, and he was like, I think I got, like, a pneumonia after. I'm glad that definitely won't be a thing. I don't think that'll take off. Uh, Yeah, I fucking hope not. I I don't even... I, I can't imagine that taking off. It's just weird to me. Like, who, like I want movies to be an experience, but who wants to take it that far? Yeah, like, even James Cameron's like, well, let's not do that. Let's like, like theme park. Like, I'd go to a theme park <laughs> if I want that. Whatever. Fuck yeah. all this. <laughs> oh shit! What was I saying? Um, well, Abigail Hobbs comes back. Yes, Abigail Hobbs, and uh, another victim of Lecter. Uh, psychologically traumatized and hypnotized to his every will and whim. You know, they worked the hypnotism into this a lot better than even the Hannibal book did. Which had a lot of hypnotism in it. And That's they go back to it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in this season alone, it's like, I don't know how many times. Yeah, everyone in the Hannibal universe has been hypnotized. <laughs> like, how many people do you know personally who have been hypnotized? <laughs> If I know anyone, they haven't told me. So. Zero in my life. <laughs> so. It's like Norm MacDonald, like, get hypnotized, not the smoke. It's like, good news, I quit smoking. Bad news, I no longer have free will. Well, yeah, and so, yeah, she shows up and she's under his control. And Hannibal kind of posits his idea that he and Will could have been this family with Abigail. And the way he talks to Will about it, like, he's so clearly heartbroken. Like, I showed you, like, who I really am. Like, yeah, I had a quote. I wrote gift the quote. with you. Yeah. Now that you know me, see me. I gave you a rare gift, but you didn't want it. Like, he's so hurt. A psycho killer. <laughs> <laughs> who I think by this point has killed, like, upwards of 30 people on this yeah. show. Like... Some of which we came to know. Yeah. Even one we cared about. So, like, yeah. But he's so hurt. The boy is hurting. Oh, yeah. And then Will Graham gets a a different scar. Not the one from uh, Red Dragon initially, but a fucking... His guts just, like, opened. Just eviscerated so much blood. I I couldn't... I had to to turn away at that. That was a bit much for me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the gut shots are not good for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's rough. It's a rough viewing experience for sure. And then Hannibal just goes, uh, walks out into the rain, 
the blood dripping off his face in the water and it's this majestic shot of him leaving everything behind and you know when it comes back it's gonna have to be an entirely different show could you imagine if it didn't come back i mean that'd be a fucking series finale it would be everyone they they would have just been like oh yeah everyone had to have died then because that's the end of the show (laughs) that's the end of the show like holy shit or it would have been like one of those like twin peaks like 20 years later everyone comes back Oh After yeah, the biggest cliffhanger ever. Ah, I'll see you again in twenty-five years. Let's rock, and except he's a tree now. You fucks, Matt. Where can people find you? I'm at emperorotn at twitter.com, and I'm at dewgo waffles. Uh, like, subscribe to the Waffle Press. If you didn't like this, like, subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Patreon, YouTube's. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks All for watching. All of that is Diego's, by the way. I don't. None of that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> We've been professionally unprofessional. I'm going to remember, and when I do, there will be a reckoning. Stay.